Welcome to Directions Not Included, a podcast that features candid conversations for a stronger community. So many of life lessons do not include instructions. It's a live and learn situation, especially when it comes to raising strong families and creating healthy communities. Together, we will discuss tough topics that help make us better people and overall, a better community. Because together, we can build a legacy. Mental health is on the forefront these days. As a society, we're more aware of it and are talking more about it, which helps break down the stigma previously associated with seeking help for mental health concerns. We're also keenly aware of mental health concerns for teens. While mental health should always be on our radars as parents and professionals, the holidays tend to exaggerate mental health concerns. The same can be true for children and teens. In today's episode, we will be exploring the impact of the holidays on mental health and talking about tips for supporting our own and our children's mental health. To help with the conversation, we have Megan Dahl and Amy Kramer. Megan Dahl is the Supervisor of Outpatient Counseling at My Michigan Health Midland. In her role, she supervises the partial hospitalization program and also the behavioral health therapist for the psychiatry office at My Michigan Medical Center Midland. Megan has a master's in social work from University of Michigan and a bachelor's in psychology also from University of Michigan, and she has a three-year-old who loves dinosaurs. Amy Kramer is a therapist with My Michigan Health in the Partial Hospitalization Program. In her role, she leads group and individual therapy. Amy has an undergraduate degree at Central Michigan University and a master's in social work from Simmons University. Amy has a blended family with two sets of twins, ages 18 and 8, who keep her on her toes. Hello and welcome back. I'm your host, Katherine Tate. Holidays can be a special time for people, time spent with families and friends, a chance to give gifts to show love and appreciation, and a break away from the day-to-day. However, for some people, the holidays can be especially hard on their mental health. Today, we'll be talking to two mental health professionals about supporting mental health, especially with the holidays in mind. So let's go ahead and get started. Megan, let me start with you. How would you define mental health? That's a great question because mental health can really encompass a lot of different things. So a definition might be your psychological and our emotional well-being. What that really means is how well do our minds kind of manage the ups and downs of daily life? Because, you know, we can look at how do we react when good things happen, but also how do we react when bad things happen? What's the state of our thoughts or feelings? And then also how that affects our behavior. And that's why you might hear mental health sometimes being called behavioral health too, because our mindset often affects how we behave. It's all related together. Thank you. Amy, do you have anything that you want to add to that definition or um, how you think about mental health? Yeah, I think the managing the feelings and the emotions that come up, whether they're good, bad, or otherwise, is really the most important part. Some people will think if I'm not happy all the time, I don't have good mental health. And good mental health does not mean you're happy 100% of the time. It means you have like the tools and the strategies to manage it when you're feeling more uncomfortable feelings. 
I think that's a really important takeaway. <laughs> Thanks. Right off the bat, we have our first takeaway. No, I think that's wonderful to 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 understand that because you're absolutely right. We often think about life in terms of how happy we are, but we do all have those ups and downs. I was thinking about that today, in fact, that we have these cycles sometimes where we might feel down and blue, but that doesn't necessarily mean that we're struggling overall with a mental health condition. Megan, tell me about depression. What is depression? in particular in um, all the time, anytime, versus that seasonal affective disorder or seasonal depression that we hear people talk about. Yeah, absolutely. So clinical depression, we would also call major depressive disorder in the clinical setting that can come in different forms. So some cases of depression are very brief, like two to four weeks. And what we're looking at is significantly low mood most days in that time period. If you have one low day, that's not clinical depression. We have to see that it's lasting for at least two weeks most days. And then comes with some other factors as well, like a decrease in functioning lack of interest in activities, you're sleeping too much or too little, your appetite is off, that type of thing. That can be a normal course of, uh, well, not a normal course of depression, but clinical depression can be in that time sense. Other cases of depression uh, can be months or years in length. So we're really taking a look at uh, how long the depression has been present because it can be short-term or long-term. With seasonal depression, that's also called seasonal affective disorder, as you said, that occurs in relation to the time of year that it presents. So most commonly it comes in the fall and the winter when the sunlight gets less and it gets colder outside. But there are some cases of seasonal affective that actually happen in the spring and summer. Uh, so we're really paying attention to, is there a cycle with when it presents for you? And so the factors that drive seasonal affective disorder are usually a change in sunlight, which we think affects kind of the um, ability of our neurotransmitters to make connections in our brains. Neurotransmitters are those brain chemicals like serotonin that we all have and we all need um, to help those, those messages connect. So it could be the change in sunlight is affecting the brain chemicals. It can also be a vitamin D deficiency. So we live in Michigan and we don't get a lot of sunlight already. And so a lot of people might need to take a, a vitamin D supplement because of that. Um, it could also be related to too much of the uh, chemical melatonin. That's the sleepy hormone. Some people take melatonin as an over-the-counter medication. So there's some evidence that we actually secrete more of that in the winter months, which makes us more tired um, and less having less energy. So for seasonal affective disorder, one of the treatments that we might suggest to folks is to use a phototherapy light where you can try to get back some of that sunlight in a, a light form. So you would purchase a, a device and there's different types of devices out there, uh, but we encourage one that has 10,000 lux, that's the light, um, the measurement of light. And so you use that at certain times each day to try to help get your system kind of back on track if you're struggling with the seasonality. Interesting. Well, so we also hear people talk about how the holidays can affect a person's mental health. And so that seems like that might be a compounding factor in some cases, and it might be totally separate. So Amy, would you be able to tell me about how the holidays might affect a person's mental health? Yeah, definitely. 
Um, a lot of the stuff that Megan was talking about when it comes to clinical depression is that loss of interest in your daily routine, the things that bring you joy. And around the holidays, there's a lot of pressure to feel joy, to feel happiness, to feel gratitude, and to feel a certain way. So it can really take a toll on your mental health and like your sense of self if you're not feeling the way you think everyone else is feeling around this time of year. Like I should be happier. I should be more prepared. I should be donating more. There's a lot of should that happens this time of year that tends to make our mental health tank a little bit. Should usually feels like shame, like we're not doing enough. So it's one of those one of those tricky times of year where there's a lot of pressure to be a certain way and it's hard enough on a good day, let alone November through January. So how might that show up for a child or a teen? What might that look like? You know, the holidays, as Amy said, can be hard for a lot of folks. That's for adults and for kiddos. You know, there's there's multiple facets because there's a lot of rewarding things that can happen during the holidays. I mean, you might have time off, you might be seeing family and making good connections. There's you know, excitement and enjoyment with gift giving and kind of connecting to the spirit of the season. But then there's also some challenges with this time too, like having more time together sometimes can lead to increased tension. There can be financial strain that families experience. And so, you know, the idea of Christmas morning can be a very different feeling depending on your family situation, especially in, in homes where there is substance use. That can also be pretty tough for kids, you know, if you're around your family more. And, and I think people do do use substances more over the holidays. Um, so that can be very hard. We also get out of our healthy routines over the holiday season. So we can see some effects and that's both for kids and adults. And then when there's any type of grief or trauma, there's a lot of triggers that can happen. You know, even listening to the radio can be triggering for people um, if there's been loss or you know if you've if you you're approaching the holiday without a family member or even a pet you know then that can be very difficult because it doesn't feel the same for kids and teens what that might look like you know in addition to kind of the clinical depression piece where we're seeing that lack of interest in activities the sleeping changes the energy changes we'd also of course be looking at any thoughts of self harm or of dying those are definitely red flags for us in terms of a depression situation anxiety can also be a very common reaction so a lot of feeling on edge worrying too much about different things irritability can be a big one for kids um, with anxiety, kids often feel that in a very body-based way. So you might see a lot of uh, somatic complaints like stomach ache or nausea, um, headaches, that type of thing. Behaviorally, you might see withdrawal from social interactions, abrupt changes in their mood or behavior, uh, could be grade changes too. And also just a lot of impulsivity or secrecy. Um, and how they're acting. Amy, do you have anything you want to add to that? Yeah. I, and I was seeing it more in a bodily way also, as far as mental health affecting kids and young adults, kids and teens going into like the holiday season, seeing it in a more body sense, restlessness, fidgeting, um, 
changes in appetite, changes in sleep, that I feel like you see it more in a physical sense. Most young kids aren't internalizing, oh gosh, I feel really anxious about what will happen Christmas morning. They don't have the words, but it's got to come out somehow. So it usually comes out in some physical way, like Megan was saying, the somatic complaints, my stomach hurts, because that's easier for them to access than it is to say, I'm really worried that, you know, we may not have gifts under the tree Christmas morning, that having it come out in another way is a lot more accessible for young people. If I could add to that too, I want to just name that when we list all these symptoms, sometimes it can be anxiety producing to the listener to say like, oh, I've seen that in my child. Mm -hmm. And so I want us to remember too, that this is all, these are all normative in some ways, you know, everyone's going to have something at some point. And so we're looking at a spectrum, you know, how intense are these symptoms? How often are they happening? And how many of them are happening together? Because if you have a kiddo that is a worrier, then that's okay. You know, it doesn't mean that it's clinical anxiety or you have a teen who doesn't want to tell you what they're up to, then that's probably pretty normative. Um, So we don't necessarily need to vilify that or I didn't, you know, slap a label on it. So I want us to also keep that in mind that, you know, there's a spectrum here. I think for myself, working with kids and teens, a major driver often of mental health issues at this age are troublesome peer relationships. So uh, a breakup or a friendship that is has gone awry and a lot of, of drama in that the friendship circle. So I always kind of listen for that. Again, it's going to happen you know, to everyone at some point. But a lot of times when we see mental health crises in kids, it's because of some sort of social network issue. Those are valid points for our listeners. And it leads me straight into my next question, because as we said earlier, and and you've alluded to here, you're going to go through these periods of ups and downs and we're going to see sometimes when our kids worry about things more and and things uh, or times when they don't but how do we know when it's time to get help what should we be on the lookout for as parents or adults caring adults in some in a kid's life or even if we're kind of stepping back and being a little introspective for ourselves how do we know when it's time to get help yeah I know Megan talked a little bit about like the timeline, like if it's lasting a certain amount of time and it's really perseverating where like I can't get out of this feeling, two weeks is like the clinical definition as far as depression for when to get help. When you're looking at kids and you're looking at little tiny humans, a lot of it is like, how much is this affecting their daily routine? Have they not eaten in two and a half days because they're so anxious in their stomach. Are they having a hard time falling asleep? And that's fine and that's normal, but maybe they haven't slept in three or four days. How much is it starting to interfere with like these really important physiological needs that they have? Mm -hmm. Um, And if it's having a really significant impact, I, I would definitely reach out to like a family doctor and before you even have to go the mental health route, a lot of primary care physicians are quick to say like, nope, this is a normal transition at this stage or this time of year. And others will say, yep, it's a good thing you got a second opinion. Let's tag in a mental health professional. Mm-hmm. Okay, Megan, do you have anything you want to add to that? Yeah, I think for parents, I encourage them to just have that gut check of when it no longer feels manageable. You know, if you are not, if you're in that headspace of, I don't know what to do, 
about this anymore, then I think that's a good sign to reach out. And there are services and we can talk more about that. But, you know, a lot of times people just try to manage it because they don't know where to go or that seems like a lot of work or um, there's a stigma attached to, to getting help. And so I will give this generation a lot of credit. I'm seeing a lot less stigma and a lot more willingness to to name when they need help. So I think that's a great thing. Uh, and again, you know, if there are any comments about dying, not being around anymore, killing themselves, that is definitely a time to reach out. Um, self-harm as well, I would certainly count that as something, you know, not, every, not all self-harm is a crisis. A lot of times kids or even adults use self-harm as a way to cope and it's not meant to die. Uh, it is still not helpful coping strategy that we want to try to figure out another way to help these kids cope if that is happening. So that would be a pretty clear threshold for me. Mm-hmm. So some bigger things like the self-harm, but also some earlier signals like, um, you know, like the having a hard time sleeping several days in a row or not eating for a few days. I think those are really good tips. and. I love the comment about our gut check because I think we often don't trust our guts. We question ourselves a lot. Um, You know, the reason this podcast is called Directions Not Included is because they give you these babies and send you home and you don't know what you're doing. Mm -hmm. And and so we, I think we do kind of operate in this space where we're not sure sometimes, but if our guts are telling us something's wrong, it doesn't hurt to check, right? What do we have to lose? So as we talk about people who are struggling, kids and adults, what are some strategies that people can use to cope? Maybe in the earlier stages, um, certainly if if someone has gotten to the point where they're thinking about self-harm, they definitely need professional help. That's not something that we should be coping with at home, but are there tips and tools that we could use in our own homes, in our own lives to help our kids, our teens, and ourselves support our mental health anytime, but especially during the holidays as we're, you know, two, three weeks away from Christmas. Amy, do you want to get started on that? Yeah. And some of it will be really age specific when we talk about like concepts like mindfulness and being aware of how you feel and not judging yourself for it. That's going to be really tricky for someone who's like six, seven or eight to say, I'm feeling jealous. And this is what it's telling me about myself. And here's how I'm going to, you know, process it. That might be a little bit harder for them. But like, it's for sure one of the things that is really helpful, especially when we talked about that, like trap of wanting to be happy or feeling like you're supposed to feel happy this time of year. We encourage a lot of the patients like in program to be focused on mindfulness, where they're aware of how they feel and not judging it as being right or wrong or good or bad. And just letting that feeling exist, riding it out, knowing that it's not permanent um, and that it's going to pass and then just trying to explore it. What can it tell me about myself? What does it tell me about what the things I value Um, and not making it their identity that just because someone is feeling anxious doesn't mean I'm an anxious person or if I'm feeling depressed or kind of gloomy, it doesn't mean I am depression. Really not letting it become everything about who they are and instead just a feeling they're experiencing. Hmm. Um, It's very helpful in not letting those emotions start to like drive the car and make the decisions. Instead, they're just passengers and you're feeling them and taking them along with you. 
Megan, do you have anything that you want to add to that in terms of um, techniques to support oneself? I love that. Really quick, I just want to say I love that that the feeling is not permanent mm-hmm. because I think that sometimes we get stuck in that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And that's the tricky part with some of these feelings is that they they like to trick you to think that you're going to feel this way forever. And so sometimes a, a pretty powerful intervention is to help us and help our kids learn that emotions change. And so sometimes it's kind of riding out the wave. I do like to follow kind of the oxygen mask approach for kids, which is that if your parents are struggling, then the kids are going to be struggling. And so as parents, we got to put, it's like when you're flying a plane in a plane, right? They tell you to put the oxygen mask on yourself first. And that's very important too, because if if you you are struggling with your mental health, kids are smart, you know, they see that. And so a lot of times one of the, a, a good way to help our kids is to help ourselves, you know, and to w- be working on these things ourselves. And then we can be modeling helpful coping. Not that we have to have everything together, you know, we're not, we don't have to be perfect parents, but we need to be able to model these things. Because if I'm asking my kiddo to, you know, name their feelings, but I never do that, you know, and I don't show that, then it's not going to go very far. So I think, you know, having these conversations as families where we're using terms like, I'm feeling this right now, um, that good communication. I love the mindfulness strategy, just kind of naming how we're feeling. There's a, a strategy that we, or a phrase that we love in the therapy world of name it to tame it. So mm-hmm. sometimes just by putting a word to it, it really helps to calm down the intensity of it. And I think too, with this time period, you know, over the holiday season, there's some other strategies that we can use in terms of having some positive events planned out uh, where that really emphasizes the connection. I'm a big proponent of putting away the screens as much as we can, because that's not going to give us actual connection that fills our buckets. Um, We can also do some relaxation strategies with our kids. Um, You know, I, I love like family yoga, <laughs> kind of like family, uh, like mountain breathing, you know, doing that together just to help kids get in the habit of being able to do that. If things feel overwhelming, you know, let's say you've got a, a family Christmas coming up and there's going to be 40 people there and you talk to your kid in advance of, okay, you know, I might feel a little bit overwhelmed. And so this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to take a break into this room. I'm going to do some breathing. What do you think? What could work for you if it gets to be overstimulating? You know, just having that be a conversation and practicing those things in advance. And then as much as we can, and I know it's break, but those healthy habits, if we can keep them somewhere, you know, of like getting the right amount of sleep, um, you know, keeping a water intake, nutrition, getting some movement. You know, I remember when I was a kid and I was on Christmas break, it was like Christmas movies, video games, you know, <laughs> popcorn. So I just, that's okay to do. But again, in moderation, we want to have some other things happening too. Um, that kind of keeps some structure and some of those healthy habits going. No, those are great tips. I was a what if kid myself. You know, what if this worst case scenario happens? What about this one? And so I think as parents, we try to just say, that's not going to happen. You know, don't worry about it. It's okay, honey. That doesn't necessarily alleviate the fears or the anxieties. And so giving airtime to it, you know, like listening to them, what are what are your worries? Let's let's talk about it. You know, it's not going to necessarily increase the anxiety. If anything, it's just going to to 
name it. We could normalize it. Like that makes sense that you're worried about that. And, you know, it probably less likely, but let's make a little short plan if, if a plane were to fall in the house, you know, that type of thing, um, that that can really, you know, just having a short plan for all the worst case scenarios can really help kids feel a little yeah. bit more comfortable. Yeah. And the other point I wanted to make uh, that as adults, if we are dysregulated, we cannot regulate a dysregulated kid <laughs> if the adult is dysregulated. So that's why, you know, we need to walk the walk too of if a kiddo has a behavior, you know, in the middle of a family holiday and we're all stressed and frustrated, we need to take a moment for ourselves first before we try to go and check in with them uh, because it's going to be a lot harder to get back to a, a period of stasis if we're we're battling the same feelings. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, it's an interesting point. Here at Legacy, we operate with a prevention mindset. Are there any techniques that you're aware of that can help prevent mental health struggles during the holidays? I know we just talked about the one with anxiety. Are there other things that people can do to kind of almost prepare for and prevent struggles through their mental health during this time? Yeah. I know we talk a lot with patients about setting boundaries and like giving themselves permission to say no. Um, It is a time of year when there are a lot of requests, lots of party invites, lots of events, school programs, church programs, charities to donate to, potlucks, and the pressure to say yes and do all the things and do it perfectly and make sure I snap a picture and put it on social media so everyone sees me doing it um, is the recipe usually for burnout because we can do it, but we can't do it very long. It's not very sustainable without being really tired. Um, That exhaustion, and like Megan was saying, really bleeds into then how our kids are feeling in the house. If I am spent and I'm not doing things in a joyful way and I'm doing things because I feel like I have to, people are aware of that. You know, if mom's not happy, no one's happy. (laughs) So just making sure that like we're not over committing beyond what's reasonably doable in a way that still feels good. Because yes, I can sign up for every event that comes through my inbox, but, but do I want to? No. So maybe like looking at our values and saying, I really value this and I want to contribute to school and I'm going to tell so-and-so, you know, catch me on the next one, but I'm going to decline helping this time around. Mm-hmm. It's hard to do that. And it's really hard to do it during the holiday season, um, but it sets us up to be successful and then to do the things we want to do with a joyful heart and a sense of contentment. We're not like resentfully giving and donating because we have to. It tends to just make us feel better overall when we can give 100% to the things that we really enjoy, as opposed to 10% to every single person who asks. I'm relating to that as we have concerts mm-hmm. and more concerts and end of season events, because we're coming up to the end of the semester yeah. and all all the things. And it is, it's a lot. It's a lot. Um, so I love that that concept of being of being able to say no and put up your boundaries. That's yeah. great. Yeah. Megan, do you have anything you want to add from a preventative standpoint? Yeah, I, I agree with Amy, you know, just along those same lines and including putting up your own boundaries, especially with kids. We just have to be mindful of the energy limits. You know, I'm certainly one if if I am planning an event, I want to get all the stuff that I can out of it. You know, I don't want to squeeze every last drop out of that experience. And so sometimes I tend to over plan. And then, 
if the kiddo is not into that, then I get frustrated, right? And so, so just kind of being realistic going into these events, you know, can we really simplify it? Is there one realistic goal for that event that we could do if we are choosing to do it? Can we time limit it, you know, instead of staying for four hours, can we stay for one hour, um, you know, just to make it more manageable? And then aside from that, you know, from a prevention standpoint, again, you know, some of the same ideas that we talked about, but allowing feelings, you know, that Christmas or the holidays in general don't have to be perfect and happy and exciting. You know, not everyone has to be in a good mood. You know, just letting people have their feelings, um, including your own. Um, you know, again, those those healthy habits and routine, you know, having good connections um, during that time can be helpful. And then making that plan for the challenges that you're you're seeing coming on the horizon. Yeah, good points. Thank you. So as we're approaching the end here, I'm wondering if you can share some of the resources in our community that are helpful for someone who might be struggling with their mental health. And I know sometimes resources for youth can be a little bit more limited. So if you have any insights into that, that would be helpful as well. So there's different uh, levels of care that you could pursue for your kiddo um, in terms of professional support. Um, there are some offerings through My Michigan Health. You know, we do have behavioral health therapists in our primary care offices. Um, we have our psychiatry department here. Uh, we are sponsoring actually a, a six-week teen series starting in January. That's a free um group about thriving. Um, so that's an option for folks. The partial hospitalization program where Amy and I are from is is adults. But again, you know, adults starts, first of all, at age 18. So we do have people who are in high school attending that program at times. And also, you know, it starts with with the adults. And so if, again, if the parents are struggling, sometimes that can be a really great way to help the family overall is to get into more intensive care. There is a resource in Midland for seeking a therapist, which is called myhopeportal.com. My spelled M-I. And that's a way, a, a, a nice search function to find uh, therapy resources in your area um, that you can call to try to get in. In terms of crises, there are additional programs. Unfortunately, there's there's limited inpatient programs for kids across the state of Michigan, but they do exist. So there are partial hospitalization programs for kiddos and teens and inpatient programs as well if it is a, a true crisis where you know, kids cannot be safely managed at home. Aside from that, you know, if it's not to a, a the need for clinical support, um, you know, there's lots of resources online, both for parents and for kids, you know, who are struggling. There are workbooks um, that you can buy at the bookstore, you know, that kids can kind of go through on their own, or you can go through with your kids. And then I always like to mention that there is a 24-hour crisis number that just recently changed to the 988 number. I don't know if folks have heard of that, but that is for any type of mental health crisis. You can call that number day or night. It's also a text number, which is nice for people who don't like to talk on the phone, which is a fair number of young people. And there's also a chat function if you were to access that through a computer. 
Yeah. The text function, I think, also works really well for teens if they have parents who maybe don't support them getting mental health treatment because it gives them some autonomy to make that text call. Sometimes it's happened literally in the back seat while parents were fighting in the front seat and kids were sitting in the back texting their crisis line and getting the support they needed to kind of navigate those situations. So it gives them some independence to take care of themselves in the moment without necessarily having to go through some gatekeepers. Wow, that's really valuable uh, information for people to know. I know that's brand new and there's it's starting to get out there, um, but I never even thought about the impact of being able to text it, especially for kids. Yeah. You're absolutely right. They don't yeah. pick up the phone. <laughs> no, no. Not, to, not have- to make a phone call, right? No. And we have patients I know in program that have used it and have said they've been on the phone for like 45 to 50 minutes talking with therapists. So it's sometimes there's a hesitation of, well, my crisis isn't big enough. It's not worth calling over. They're literally just waiting for someone to call. Like they're, they're hoping that phone will ring. They want to be available. It's been a really great resource for the folks that we've seen use it. That's great. Thanks for that feedback and sharing that with our audience. Is there anything else that you want our audience to know about mental health care and um, coping during the holiday season? You know, one of the things we really hammer home right now is the trying to avoid the comparison. Um, and I know I mentioned it a little bit earlier with like social media and seeing a lot of really curated images online. Um, especially come December 25th, everyone's like social media feed is full of beautiful trees with piles of decorations and piles of presents. And it's so easy to be really happy with what you have until you look at what someone else has. And it robs us of that joy that really that comparison game is sometimes a recipe for not being as grateful as we might have been if we hadn't start to compare Um, I try to encourage people to really just be mindful of what they see on social media and the lens they view it through. Am I celebrating with this person or am I using this as a way to like make myself feel inadequate about what I did? Just being mindful of how we consume content on the internet and knowing that everyone is filtering all the things they post. A few people are posting the, you know, the Instagram of staying up till midnight wrapping gifts at the last minute or, you know, dragging your screaming children through Target because they want more than we can afford. Um, No one's posting that. (laughs) They're only going to post the pretty things like the family photo. So just remembering that everything we see has an entire backstory, just like our own. Mm -hmm. That's a really good reminder in today's, in this day and age, if it makes anyone feel better, we haven't even gotten Christmas boxes out of the attic. So (laughs) Um, it's a really good reminder. Amy and I were talking earlier this week about the elf on the shelf and how we're setting emotional boundaries about the amount of work that goes into that one. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm really glad, Amy, that you brought up gratitude. We haven't talked about that yet, but gratitude is such a good antidote for a lot of these other struggles that we might be having. So just giving, you know, a little bit of thanks of where we're at, you know, what we have and and not doing that comparison, as you said. And just, you know, savoring the small wins uh, and ride out the rest, you know, we'll, we'll get through it um, even when it feels tough. So I think it's important just to try to keep that in mind. Thanks. 
So speaking as a parent and a professional, this has been a great conversation and it's really given me a lot to think about. Uh, thank you, Megan and Amy, so much for sharing your time and your expertise with us. And to our listeners, thank you for joining us today. Together, we can build a legacy in our community.